Hello everyone, I'm Terry Robinson, the executive editor at SC Media, and um, we're here at the RSA show, and I've got uh, Malcolm Harkins with me. He is the uh, chief trust and security officer. Did I get that right? At yep. Cinematic? <laughs> yep, you sure did. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've known you for so long, and I've we've gone through all these changes together. It's so. just Malcolm. It's just Malcolm. It's just Malcolm. He's here. Um, yeah, and, and so this is a, a little bit of a free-ranging uh, conversation because we tend to, to get into those, but I, I did want to start with something that's on everybody's mind uh, at, the, at the show right now, and that's the coronavirus and um, the impact that it's having on the, the, the show itself, but also what are the implications uh, for security uh, going forward, uh, business continuity, disaster recovery. Um, I know that when you were uh, at Intel, uh, you, you headed up sort of the emergency management uh, response and, uh, and uh, during SARS, was it? Yeah, yeah, so when I was Chief Security and Privacy Officer at Intel, and actually before that, um, when I just had InfoSec and I was Chief Information Security Officer, I also was Director of the Corporate Emergency Operations Center. And okay. uh, that was a worldwide um, overarching group to manage um, physical, logical, you name it, anything that could um, have uh, significant or material implications for the company. And, and yeah, um, when SARS had broken out, we had had a, uh, um, a SARS incident with an employee who contracted SARS, and we had to shut down the Hong Kong sales office and do things. We even had a mini Ebola response um, a few years back when we'd had employees going in and out of that part of um, Africa. And then uh, had a spouse of an employee who came into contact as a healthcare worker with the patient that came into uh, Texas. So, it, you know, back circa 2001, Intel developed pandemic plans, and I was a part of the development of those. And and again, we intertwined infosec, physical, corporate emergency management, business continuity, disaster recovery, um, and uh, you know, and for companies and organizations that that really haven't thought that broadly. Um, these things become um, much more of a panic because they worry, because they haven't done the proper planning. They haven't thought about how to manage their vulnerabilities, you know, whether they be a physical one or a logical one, or potentially the combination between them both. Okay. So have you, have you noticed a difference here at the show? Yeah, the show, you know, it, it's, I don't know, there's a portion of me that it feels lighter, and I and certainly uh, would assume that because of IBM pulling out, and I think AT&T, and I think Verizon re recently, that that, you know, muted some stuff. I, it's certainly not thousands and thousands of people, but it, it probably, you know, uh, reduced the attendees by several hundred, give or take a little bit, right? And then with some of the travel issues and restrictions, again, I, you might have had some less folks coming from Asia in, into this stuff. Um, and then, but the, the other part of it is uh, since Moscone West, North, South, the, the whole thing is bigger, it, it, there's a portion of me that's going, well, they, they spread things out a little bit more, which means the concentration of people is less. So I, I can't tease out the cause and effect other than it does feel lighter but I'm not sure that it is all based upon, um, you know, worry about coronavirus, and, and it could also be more of just the, the spread of how they've laid out the floor is more open, which then creates a feeling of it's, you know, less traffic. Less traffic. That's not completely a bad thing, though. You can actually get around, uh, so spreading it out's uh, kind of nice. Um, so, you know, you think coronavirus and maybe the the impact on security or the security concerns that it brings up aren't 
as obvious, uh, some, some of them are. Um, what, what do you see? I mean, what can, in terms of security, weaponizing corona? Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing um, when you think about it. Uh, you know, obviously, we have to take care of our employees, our families, and, and um, stuff like that, and take appropriate precautions to minimize the potential contact and, and spread that people might come in uh, contact with folks. That's, that's I'd say, the, the humanitarian approach. I do think um, there could be some instances, and I don't know of any directly, but hypothetically, um, you can conceptualize how the fear of the coronavirus could be, again, weaponized for other purposes. Would a particular um, nation-state regime or whatever implement um, population control mechanisms because in reality they're, they're saying it's for coronavirus, but they have dissidents in a particular region, and they, um, then they use it to contain um, their population and, and, again, use it for um, subversion of the populace. I'd say that's a potential plausibility. You've got the potential weaponization of it um, from whether it be organized, you know, the, the threat actors and threat agents in the InfoSec side of things that, you know, could again be fanning the flames of, of potential fear and get people then coaxed into a phishing or something else. Um, you know, and so I think there's ways in which um, the reality of coronavirus could be used um, to harm people and, and trick them into some, certain things or, again, like I said, use it to uh, um, it, for the negative side of humanitarian response and, and population control and I'm going to isolate people and, and stuff like that. So I think that, that is definitely a real and plausible threat. Um, uh, you know, when there might not be any real um, health issue, but people use it for other means. So I think we're going to see a lot of work at home going forward and strain on resources possibly um, that way or no? Yeah, well, it's possible. But again, this gets back to your company stance and how you, you know, link physical, logical, all those other things. Uh, you go back, um, again, you know, a little bit of my Intel days. Uh, it was well over 10, 15 years ago. Ice storm in Oregon, right? Um, uh, Intel at the time, one of its largest locations with manufacturing, a back office, you know, office buildings and stuff like that. I don't, Intel probably had 12,000, 14,000 employees in Oregon at that time. And I'll, I'll be directionally correct. 7,000, so greater than 50% didn't show up to work because the ice and the snowstorms and the loss of power and heating and stuff like that. Well, you could look at that and say that could have massive um, implications on, on output and productivity and all that stuff. We didn't miss a beat. Why? Because we were ubiquitously mobile. Every, this is, again, at the we were in the early stages uh, ahead of everybody of, of deploying laptops to everybody. And... Did it have any implications on us? No, we didn't miss a beat. Factory kept shipping, engineering product got out, it closed the books. No degradation of corporate output for that time period. The only thing that was strained was our VPN capacity. Um, but, but once we told people they could VPN through other locations, that, again, mitigated the bottleneck. And so I think it all gets back to, again, it's a risk management. Pandemics have come and gone over you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. Um, and stuff like that. And, and, and again, if you look at your job as I'm, I'm a risk manager, 
you can't eliminate risk, so you 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 can't you know you have to be prepared for them, and 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 lack of preparation is no excuse. You own it, and and do your job, and and be ready for the things that are reasonably predictable other than the fact that they might be low likelihood. So is that responsibility for that spread across the organization? Are there certain points in management that would be uh, responsible? I, I think it depends upon the company. I know, you know, certainly Intel had a superset structure across all that, uh, mm -hmm. in, in which case, in, in large part, I was responsible for all of that, again, whether it be physical, logical, or all this other stuff because of the structure we put in place post 9-11. Um, a lot of organizations um, have a siloed approach, you know, facilities is over here, and physical security is over there, HR is over here, InfoSec's over here, and, and some chief information security officers don't have any accountability for business continuity and disaster recovery. But I look at it and I go, again, you know, if a, a factory stops manufacturing. Okay. Um, that could be because of a fire, a flood, an earthquake. It could be because a plane crashed into it. it. It could be a bomb threat. It could be ransomware, right? You look and you go, the cause might be different, in which case how you handle some of it is different, but the implications of having a factory offline are the same. And so what's your, what's your plans for doing that? And again, I, I always did this, and I still do it. I did it at Intel, did it at Silence. I'll, I'll do it as, with Cymatic as we continue to grow and mature. Drill in the extreme to be prepared for the ordinary. Um, I had done, and we had done a worldwide um, oper kicking off every site emergency um, operations, the corporate emergency operations at every business unit's business continuity and disaster recovery plans on like a 40-hour follow the sun thing years ago. And it was a contrived example, but it, it exercised us. And the example was um, uh, there was solar flares that were so large that as the sun was coming up across the world, it was disrupting satellites, communications, computing. And in some cases, we even had a team overseas that phoned in with their corporate emergency thing to test us. And they put, you know, because of the loss of power and lighting, riots. And they had sirens on in the background to create, again, that emotional experience that you have to think about. And then they dropped their phone call like the communications got cut. And so we would do that type of drilling to really exercise all aspects of physical, logical, coordination, communication, decision making, right? And um, eight, nine months later, remember that volcano, I think, in Iceland or something? Right, right, right. The, and it disrupted all the air did, 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 flights. Well, yeah. guess what? I mean, we had a hub in, in Amsterdam that had some stuff. Because of what we learned from this contrived thing of solar flare and stuff like that, and you go, it's remote possibility, but certainly plausible. But we stretched it to the extreme. And we learned stuff out of it. And when that volcano happened and all that other stuff, you know what? It was a non-event. We, we knew how to get a hold of employees. We knew how to reroute, reroute them around the world to get them back to their home sites. We didn't have shipment issues. We didn't have all these other things. You know, same thing with the Fukushima, right? Um, I, I had just landed in Malaysia, literally off the plane, get a call, activating the corporate emergency operations, the Fukushima issue and the earthquake in Japan, because we had building damage. 
Um, and we had employees that stayed in our offices um, for a couple of days yeah. before they could get home. And so, you know, so again, there's real world issues, but, but that exercising, it's, you know, I work out every day, as you know, because we've chatted for years. You, you kind of have to, you have to build the muscles, yeah. right? You got you to gotta lift weights to have the bone density and, and to be prepared. And if you're not doing that, across these things, then shame on you. Um, you own it. Right. Well, that's right. So the time to do it is not after the fact or, you know, with it bearing down on you. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of people, I used this term earlier, um, you know, are dusting off their uh, disaster recovery plans, their business continuity, you know, any kind of emergency plan. Because I, I, I am unclear. I mean, I think a lot of companies do keep theirs current. Don't get me wrong. But I think there are a lot of people out there that say, well, one and done. You know, I've got it. I've got it done, I've got a plan here, it doesn't matter if it's up to date or not, and then something like this happens with a, a, a pandemic or an impending pandemic and a, or a, another kind of disaster, and then they're, they're caught. Yeah, they're caught, and, and, and I get why that can occur. You've got turnover, you've got other priorities, you know, and stuff like that, but, but you, it's, it's again like exercising. You have to do it on a routine basis. Mm -hmm. Um, and in my opinion, you have to do it um, between physical, logical. Um, you, you have to have an integrated thing, you know. Um, so again, you're not making up on the fly if people out of fear um, don't want to come into work or whatever and stuff like that. Well, are they going to be mandated to come into work? Are they going to get paid if they don't um, come to work? I mean, you've got to pre-do all those scenarios um, and recognize that you know, because you can contemplate the variations on it and then, in essence, pre-stage how you're going to act, how, what decisions you're going to make. And you look up in the, in the moment, but, and you might make some tweaks, but you're not starting from scratch. Yeah. So, um, so let's, let's pivot a minute because uh, you're talking pandemic in the, the sort of the medical sense, the health sense. But earlier you said something interesting to me about um, is there a cyber pandemic? So yeah, well, I mean, you look at it, uh, you know, in, in all the malicious code incidents, all the breaches, all the mistakes, um, you could say we've been in a constant cyber pandemic now for, shoot, as long as I've been in this space, almost 20 years. Um, and you go, well, why is that, right? And, and again, a lot of people don't like me having this view, but I, I have it anyways. You know, I, I, some of it is um, the industry. The industry needs to be held more accountable. Um, we've got, I have this view, we shouldn't cling to a mistake just because we spent a lot of time making it. Right. And uh, we've made a lot of mistakes <laughs> in this industry. And we have a lot of legacy architectures, right? That's one of the reasons why I left Intel and went to silence, right? The, the endpoint, AV, all that stuff, it, it, was, it was broken. Its efficacy was, wasn't there. Its efficiency wasn't there. There needed to be a reinvention, uh, reimagination. Same reason I went to Cymatic. The web application security and defense thing, it's bloated, it's a poor architecture, and because of the weaknesses of the architecture, band-aids, bubble gum, bailing wire, and I have a ton of extra stuff I don't need. And when when we look at that, you know, in this more, 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 more instead of better, you go, we're making our environments more complex. And guess what? Complexity does two things. It adds cost and it adds risk. And and our job is to manage risk. And if we're adding complexity to our environment, because we haven't thought about 
whether or not the controls we have are strong or insufficient or flawed, and many of them are insufficient or flawed. And when they're insufficient or flawed, we should get rid of them and do something different. And you know, so I when I look at that, you know, part of the quote unquote cyber pandemic is because of the industry itself and and not doing a good enough job. And then you go, well, the industry is responding to the demand put in place by its customers. And, and I look at that and I go, so that means the CISO and the CSO, their teams are accountable for guess what? Weeding and feeding the crap that doesn't work, right? And, and getting onto a better thing. So I, I look at it and I go, it begins and ends with the head of security because they're the fulcrum point for the economics of the entire industry. If they continue to buy crap that doesn't work and deploy it, um, then shame on them, they should be fired. Um, they need to drive a level of accountability to um, the security vendor community, the service community. They gotta drive a level of accountability back to the person who developed a piece of technology with a vulnerability that should have been addressed in the design and development cycle. They gotta drive accountability back to their boards to make better decisions. National Association of Corporate Directors in December published a report and said 61% of board directors would compromise on on cybersecurity for the sake of a business objective. And you go, why is that? You know, they're smart people. Did, some of them probably don't care. Some probably do care, but the CISO's done a piss poor job of explaining it to them, right? right? Um, so, you know, we've created our own mess and, and that's in essence created the cyber pandemic and it's up to us to take charge and, and lead and, and innovate our, our way out of this. Great. Well, I so appreciate you being with me here today. You always leave me with something to think about every time. Um, I hope you'll come back and, and we can talk. There are a lot of topics I'd like to cover with you. So um, thank you all for listening. I'm Terry Robinson at SC Media. And, and join me in thanking Malcolm Harkins. Thanks, Terry. <laughs>